Hey guys, today on the podcast, I will be talking to Nick Laufer, Toby Keith's trombonist, and we're going to discuss how he transitioned from being a classical musician all the way to touring rock star musician, and also how ear training played a huge role in his development as a musician. Welcome to the Musician's Guide to Being Healthy, Wealthy, and Wise. Every week, we have music industry professionals and top performers share their insights on thriving as a modern musician. Whether you're a recent grad or high-profile artist, this podcast is for you. Now here's your host, Karen Kibidez, CEO of Kibidez Artist Services, marketing and management consultant, educator, and professional saxophonist based in Nashville, Tennessee. Hey guys, welcome to the podcast. We are officially on episode 20 and I'm super psyched about that. Um, today we have, I think, well, we have Nick Lawfer, but yes. how many times have you been on the podcast now? Is this my third time? I think so. Yeah. So he's officially the guest with like the most times on the podcast. Yes. Wah, wah. <laughs> anyway, um, so I figured like for today's episode, like I would just pick his brain on all of the questions that I actually have. So both of us are musicians, but there's just completely different sides of what we both do. And, um, you know, recently in the last couple of months, um, I've been going more towards like the jazz and pop and, and country genre of music with helping musicians and, you know, things like back lines and, and ear monitors and things like that have come into my vernacular. And I'm just like, what is that? <laughs> what does that mean? So I just wanted to bring Nick today and kind of like pick his brain of what it's like to be a touring musician, um, to do studio session work, show up in sight read, performance anxiety, all the things so this will be kind of like a i mean everything's unscripted here but just more of like a q a type sesh what do you think i'm happy to share my experiences <laughs> okay so for those that are new listeners tell us who you are and what you do my name is nick lawfer i play trombone in toby keith's band i play sessions around town in nashville and i am one of the former founding members of the maniacal four trombone quartet i'm also your spouse that's right and partner <laughs> at cas i am the chief operations officer which means i what does that mean? <laughs> i wear many hats yes you do indeed um okay so let's unpack all of that um let's talk about the toby keith gig because i mean are you like a country music person or I'm a country musician, yes, <laughs> okay. but I've never listened to country music a day in my life. Okay, and this is what season with Toby? This will be my fifth, fifth? So, my fifth season. Oh my gosh, okay. So what was it like transitioning from, you know, playing with like Maniacal Four and touring and, you know, doing like ITFs and, you know, quote unquote classical competitions and things like that to, you know, playing music by memory on stage with all this equipment and fireworks and dancing like yeah. ha what happened how did that even happen i think that the, and there, i think there's more to what you were saying too like um i played in a lot of top 40 cover bands um in my college years and then after graduation as well and so i think that playing with um like commercial music pop music and playing classical music and chamber music um and then doing that all at a really high level in a working environment prepared me to step onto stage with um, a band as great as Toby's band with um, a musician as epic as Toby mm -hmm. and be able to do it with relative ease, even though, yeah, it's terrifying. And, you know, you can, f you can feel it in your chest when there's, you know, 50,000 people screaming, not for you, but for the guy <laughs> six feet in front of you, but all the same, you're right there. 
and it's insane so okay give us like more details though like I could barely play my instrument sitting down, I feel. Like, how do you dance around? How does it feel to play with monitors in your ear? Like, do you hear yourself? Like, just tell me more because I know nothing. Okay. Oh, I feel like I could take so many left-handed turns with this question. (laughs) So, yeah, playing with in-ear monitors is hard. Um, And that's not something I was ever really... I never had to do until I got to Toby's band uh, because everybody in the band uses in-ear monitors. The only person on stage that uses wedges is Toby, and that's only sometimes if his in-ears fail him. Okay. And so my experience was with wedges and, you know, floor monitors to start with, especially playing in top 40 cover bands every weekend for years and years and years around Dallas-Fort Worth. And it helped because you can get a general mix of the band. And um, at the end of the night, though, you would just be your ears will be blown out. You'd have tinnitus. It's loud. You, you play, you try and play louder than what you're hearing in the monitors. So you can hear yourself playing and it's just a hard thing to do. So everything just gets louder and louder and louder. You end up chopping out really, really easily. Mm -hmm. Um, and then playing with the in-ear monitors is different because you can set your own mix with the, uh, monitor engineer and you can set your own volume and which is, so so nice so that you can hear yourself perfectly you don't have to play louder you don't have to feel like you're playing above all the other instruments because you have them perfectly mixed in your own ears the only thing that's weird is you're not getting any acoustic natural sound coming from the outside of your ears Mm -hmm. everything seems to be created in that little zone inside your monitors that are form-fitted and custom-fitted to your ears yeah so that does take some getting used to but I wouldn't have that any other way, especially on a Toby Keith show where, you know, the speaker stacks are multiple stories high. Oh, wow. Okay. So tell us about like the, the dancing and the theatrical component. Cause I mean, is it like going to see, I don't know, Taylor Swift or Ariana Grande? Like how is the, the vibe, not necessarily of like the actual music, obviously, but is it like a bunch of people? Is it super loud? Are there fireworks? Like what is the actual mechanics on stage and how do you adapt coming from like an arguably classical background? Well, yeah. I mean, we never had to do any kind of dancing or super aerobic, <laughs> you know, backflips before, um, you know, playing in your classical music recitals for your peers, uh, you know, in college or, you know, on masterclass recitals or anything like that. You just never had to do that. You Maybe could you just... could add something to the David, like just some dancing or something. Yeah, I could do a little sidestep, <laughs> a little shuffle. No, the thing is, is like that, that never really was in our realm as classical musicians or even jazz musicians, because it's all about the music Mm -hmm. for that. And then when you go and perform for larger crowds that are outside or in a club, they're drinking, they're dancing. They want to see you having just as much of a good time as they are. And sometimes more. Yeah. So especially that's where I got my experience in, you know, stepping to the left, stepping to the right, maybe a (laughs) finger snap here and there, you know, a little flossy neck or something like that. And I just started to just follow what everybody else in the band was doing Uh and just make myself fit in because guys, I am not a good dancer. I'm really (laughs) not. I've got no game and it's just hilarious to me. The fact that, you know, dancing is a thing, you know, for a musician, like we get paid to play, right? Why do we have to move our butts as well? But 
it's it's the whole performance that's just what looks good yeah. to the people that actually matter because when you're on stage playing the music you don't actually matter <laughs> so um yeah i sidestep i shake my butt i wiggle around and i do it all for that paycheck you guys <laughs> <laughs> it's great but um i will share you know about the toby dancing it's actually funny um we don't have a set routine of moves we just make it up every night and see what sticks um and see if we like some stuff and then we all start doing it there's nothing um awesome or sexy about it <laughs> it's mostly just to see who control the best in that given situation so i really do like that because it's kind of like taking it full circle at that point we do recognize how ridiculous it is and we exploit that and make fun of it yeah. to the extreme that's interesting. Um, so it seems like everything that you do is like super high stakes. Um, so tell me like how you handle performance anxiety, because I mean, even though like, you know, you said it quote unquote doesn't matter. Um, it really does. <laughs> like you're on live television, you're on jumbotrons, you're on, you know, all of the things like how do you handle that performance anxiety and also making sure that you've conditioned your body to execute accurately a hundred percent of the time or close to that. Well, yeah, I mean, it's the P word, right? Practice, but you have to practice those kind of performances. You have to be ready for when the camera's on, when the lights are on, when the people are out. Um, and the best thing that I ever had to do in my experience was just make sure I had my parts down cold mm-hmm. or I could do it in any environment I could go out on stage naked and just slay. Um, cause I knew my music so well. And the other part was knowing my peers music as well. So a lot of the times in maniacal four, we didn't just memorize our own individual parts. We were so engrossed in the product that we knew who had what, when, where, why, and how it all fit together so that all you had to do was do your little contribution, but it was the whole it was the sum of the parts, right? Yeah. And the consummate hole. So you, we had the consummate hole going in each of our heads the whole time, in all of our ears going the whole time. And that, doing that over and over and over and over again with Maniacal 4 on a constant basis for years led me to be able to just go out with a new crew, with Toby's band, with two different horn players that are not trombonists. It was a trumpet player and a, and a tenor saxophone player. And we were able to step in and do it well. And I have a unique situation with these two guys in Toby's band because they are also North Texas alums. So we all came from the same tradition. We all know, you know, what we expect out of ourselves so we can expect that out of each other. And it's a good system to lean on each other that way, I think, knowing where we all came from and why we do it. Yeah. So... Um, I worked with a lot of you North Texas folk, um, and there's just something about like, you know, lab bands and and the culture and and everything that you just mentioned. Um, How has your education differed from maybe like a conservatory experience? Like I know both of us have very different pedagogies and, Mm -hmm. um, but it's just always really impressive, you know, your ears and how you practice things and how you hear things. Can you just walk us through why, you know, the, the listening part was such a fundamental part of your education. Yeah. And I would also say that, you know, it's not one way is better than the other, obviously. And I've got much respect for the way you were brought up pedagogically. And I think that, you know, for every, to each person their own, and if they were successful in their experiences, and that's great. Um, mine was a lot of ear training in college and I like was pretty, 
it was kind of funny. Like most people that I knew in school were really, really good at music theory and really, really bad at oral skills. Mm -hmm. And I was the opposite. I could do the ears, but I couldn't do the pen and paper. I just couldn't. Um, but I really enjoyed, um, that part of it and learning about that. And then taking that to the next level with my juries in the trombone studio, we would have to do scale and tune juries. So we would play all of the scales and a list of 30 plus melodies by ear that we had to be able to play in any key. Uh, and that's what, what happened that professors would just call them out at random and you'd have to nail it cold. And then they would say another one and another one and another one and another one. And then they dismiss you and it was pass fail. So, okay. Like it's on and just having to do this every semester for years really, really prepared me for what I thought was the most important thing, which was having elephant ears in the room and being able to listen to anything and know exactly how to play it back in that moment. Cause you never know, like, what if that was your job someday? And it turned out that's what helped me, you know, helped me with maniacal four because we did all of our programs from memory. It helped me with Toby Keith because I had to memorize all of his music in two weeks. I had to learn it by myself before rehearsals. And I got one sectional with the horn section before we had a live TV gig. And that was my first thing. Yeah. So, and this just helped. It just helps and helps and helps. And I'm able to teach that to young musicians now and it's helping them. Yeah. So, okay. For, for those of us that like prefer to read, um, how, especially like for me, like I'm, I'm in my mid twenties and you know, I was, went to conservatory and you know, blah, blah, blah. And it's very intimidating to like focus on my ears at this point in my career. Um, what would you tell someone like me, how to, how to approach that and go back to basics besides, you know, humility, but what would be a way to set someone up for success where they can start practicing and incorporating that into their you know, daily routine. So I think that reading is great because this is your language. Music is our language that we're doing, but you could be really, really good at reading and you can read out loud because you're reading what's in front of you, like a book for instance. But what about speaking? I would liken that to having your strong ears. You can't speak without knowing exactly what you're going to say. Otherwise you're going to trip over your own tongue. You're going to trip over your own thoughts. If you're not clear in your head and in your mind, then you know, what's going to come out the other, the other end of your mouth. <laughs> okay. I almost said something else. <laughs> Anyways, um, that's what I would liken it to is just like public speaking then or having an interview like this. Yeah. It's like, oh my God, what am I going to say to your questions? Well, this is really interesting. Um, and not to put you on the spot, but I guess I can cause you're my husband. Um, like I think about you going into session work and showing up and not knowing what the score is going to be in a yeah. high stakes situation and just nailing it. But sitting here next to me, you're like struggling to breathe. I'm like, what is your deal? So like, how do you feel as far as like the different kinds of performance anxiety? Like, how do you walk into a session, play a theme for like Star Wars or something and like not combust, <laughs> <laughs> but you're sitting here, you're like, I don't know what to say. Yeah. Okay. Well, I mean like, <laughs> God, you really did put me on the spot. I know, I'm sorry. I think He's all the listeners everyone. can see my cheek, my cheeks getting redder. Um, so Okay, let's break that down because, yeah, I can go in, I can play a session that, which is reading, yeah. you know, which is another thing I've had a lot of experience with um, in in my tradition and upbringing. Um, sight reading was very important to 
getting the kind of job that I eventually got. But, um, you know, sitting down and doing, you know, a commercial for Star Wars or insert blank, you know, um, and not knowing what it is until you sit down and the music's in front of you right then and there, not even knowing what equipment you were going to be playing on when you got there is even another thing. It's like, um, how do I warm up today? Well, you just do everything. Um, so what I would think about that is just knowing with the experience that I've had, um, playing in, in chamber ensembles like Maniacal 4, I know the kind of sound that I want to be a part of and being able to listen to the players around me, not just the trombonist, but everybody else in the session and listening to their blend and seeing how I can contribute to that and make it greater, um, was just the best. And that's what made me feel at ease going into a session where I know nothing about the music, about, you know, who's going to even be sitting next to me, any of that. So just knowing what I thought it should sound like was really helpful. And having that experience to draw on with the Maniacal Four is really, really helpful for me in that situation. Okay. And um, I guess lastly, like, what would you have done differently if you knew, you know, a decade ago that this is a career that you would have? What would you have done differently? I think I would have, I don't know, I, I, I would have spent more time at a piano um, truth be told, I'd never touched a keyboard until I got to college. I just had no interest in it. And then I got there, I was like, Oh my God, <laughs> like, it's not just about the grades. Like this was, this could have been amazing for me. And it's like, I have the desire to learn. I think this is so important. And geez, like you idiot. We had, we had a piano in my house yeah. growing up. My brother and sister took lessons and I was like, Nah, I don't want to do that. I just want to play trombone. It's like, oh boy, like got some bad news for you, you know? Yeah. But um, I would do that. I would practice trombone more or piano more. And <laughs> Freudian slip. Exactly. I would also <laughs> practice trombone more. Um, and I think I would have um. I would have been more conscious about my ears to start with, because I think that it's and it's no fault of anybody's but like we get so wrapped up especially as youngsters uh with the mechanics of what we're doing and that becomes all about the mechanics and how how we do things and not why we do things and i never really learned about intention until much later yeah i love that okay so i have a final question and i haven't asked this before so brace yourself it might be kind of weird but okay get ready to improvise i'm not ready like david rogers taught us um so if you could have a billboard sign anywhere and specifically in a music school what would it say Hmm. i would in a a billboard in a music school Mm -hmm. okay so it wouldn't just be like be my face with a thumbs up no okay um I would say something like, um, something about going slow. Okay. Um, you can only go as slow as you can hear it or as fast as you can hear it. I should say you can only go as fast as you can hear it. And I think that would get people to really stop and think about where they are and what they can hear. And if they can't hear it, they can slow down until they can. I love that. 
Look at you. That was good. You can only go as fast as you can hear it. <laughs> okay. I won't take the credit for that one. Somebody else taught me that, but I really <laughs> like it on a billboard. Okay. Awesome. So where can everybody find you? Oh, all over the place. I have a website, nicklawfer.com. I have an Instagram, nick underscore maniacal four. I have a Facebook, Nick Lawfer. And I do have a Twitter, Nick underscore maniacal four. But I tweet sparingly. Who tweets anymore? Your dad. My dad does. Yeah. He tweets at you. <laughs> he does. Okay. So if you guys have any more questions on, you know, ears and travel and equipment and all that, just shoot Nick a message. Please do.